So hi, welcome everyone to WEMcast. Um, I'm here with um, a friend and colleague of WEMs, uh, Lucy Coulter. Morning, Lucy, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Good, Good. to see you. Yeah, you too, you too, you too, you too. So um, me and Lucy have worked together for a number of years now, actually, for World Extreme Medicine. But Lucy, just for people who are watching and or listening to this, could you just, um, just give us a bit of your background and, and what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, okay. So I'm um, currently working as an um, emergency medicine consultant in uh, Central London Hospital. Um, I've been working um, in the hospital there for a couple of years now. And before that, um, I've been working all over the um, all over the UK in, in various different emergency departments. Um, um, and originally, I was training in um, Australia for a few years. Soon after I qualified, I started my emergency medicine training in Australia. Um, one of the few that came back to the UK um, and um, continued my training training that way, and ended up becoming a consultant through the Caesar route, which is a different way of becoming a consultant. Um, um, that gives you a little bit more flexibility, um, but certainly isn't an easier way to do it, unfortunately. But um, so um, in other backgrounds, I've um, worked in pre-hospital care, um, worked, um, did a year full time in HEMS, and um, but also um, been involved over the past few years in, in various um, overseas expeditions and trips, working as an expedition medic, um, and have had to been able to work in various different environments, which has been really great. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. So, Lucy, um, I believe you're coming to us from the extreme environment of Putney today. Is that is that correct for you? <laughs> <laughs> you're in at the moment, yeah. Well, I'm in East London at the moment, so my 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 environment's no more extreme than yours, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think in in lockdown, there's there's a limit to how extreme you can get. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, Lucy, that's fantastic, actually, and it's really, uh, it's really diverse range of uh, range of experience that you've had. I know you work, you worked some time in North Wales as well. I think didn't you? You, you did a bit of time yeah. uh, in and around Bangor, um, which was fantastic. Um, but yeah, so that's fantastic. So, just to just just to sort of um, hit fast forward to where you are now, uh, mm. working in in central London. Um, how has your experience been over the last month? Because we were just talking about some of the highs and lows. Um, of sort of demand profile and, and what you might have seen. Yeah, so it's been it's been a, obviously a really um, interesting, sometimes difficult time. Um, I guess working in a central London hospital, it our, our peak has come up um, came up quite early, um, and even maybe com compared to other places in London as well, just because of our our demographic that we have in London, we've got quite a, a large population of. Um, Europeans that live in and around where the hospital is that I work, um, Italians, French, Spanish, um, and there's a lot of um, travel that goes on. So um, we started to notice people coming in with with symptoms of coronavirus fairly early on, and we were um, quite early in setting up one of the the testing pods in the um, outside the hospital, and had to sort of start thinking about things from from really the the early parts of february i would say was was when it all started so it's been i guess going on for for almost two months but it's really only been as you say the past past month that we've seen that that peak in patients that have come been coming in sick to the hospital um we had to make some fairly rapid decisions um regarding changing the footprint of the of the emergency department and um using different areas for different um, 
different levels of severity of cases and then we've got a we've got a um, resuscitation area that's got um, seven beds in it um, but um, which uh, when we first started with um, with started to get coronavirus patients in we were we were sometimes having it as a as a what we we, we started calling it a, a dirty resus, but we we changed the name of that soon because it's a, it doesn't doesn't sound so good as a red resus or a green resus. But um, yeah, we were getting patients with coronavirus, and then we were getting patients well potential coronavirus patients, and then patients that didn't have it, and we were having to sort of change the area and and the PPE use, and that became quite difficult. And and quite early on, we moved to changing an area of into an area which we called green resus, so patients that had very low likelihood of coronavirus but were still uh, sick. Um, we basically made some resus bays in our majors area for that and had to adapt quite quickly to that. But I, it worked well. A um, few teething problems, as you as you would expect, but but generally things work well, and we've got a really good dynamic team that was, um, um, yeah, welcoming the changes. So. It sounds sounds really good, actually. So, what we what we generally saw within pre-hospital care, and I'd be interested to see if it was the same for you. It was it was almost it, it, it very much caught us on the back foot initially. So, it was almost a rising incremental tide, which which almost became quite a tsunami, actually, of of demand over I would say about a month, month and a half ago now. And I'm I'm not necessarily sure we weren't ready for it, but we certainly weren't ready for the overwhelming. I would say peak of the demand. We saw double the amount of uh, of of of, of demands that we normally see. So we saw, at worst, we saw twelve thousand calls a day. Now, did that? Did did you feel like we we as an ambulance service, as a, as a, as a, uh, in in London, were starting to really shift the workload to you in hospital quite quite early on? Did you see an incremental shift yourselves? Which we we, we did to an extent, but I think I think it was yeah the the difficulties are, are slightly different, aren't they? Because you you guys work in in ambulances, you you can only take one patient at a time in your ambulance, and then once you've taken a potential coronavirus in, in an ambulance, you then got to clean it afterwards, don't you? And it just means that your your workloads goes up because you've got in a lot more calls they're not necessarily the sickest patients but it's patients that take up the biggest amount of time for you aren't they because um you're potentially bringing patients to hospital that don't necessarily need to be in hospital but they've been told to come for a um a review and then they they can't come by public transport because they've potentially got coronavirus and then we we quickly found a way of um of coming out to the ambulances and swabbing patients in the ambulance, quickly reviewing them there, saying they're good to go to go home, and we gave them the advice from the ambulance. But then, from from your perspective, you've got then got to the added like length of time to take them home, and then as I say clean clean the truck afterwards. So, um, yeah, I think the demand was um, higher for you guys right at the beginning, um, and then it seems that that's almost potentially dropped off a little bit I don't, I don't know whether you'd say that that was that was the case and then it's ramped up in the in the hospitals um we managed to keep quite a lot of patients initially out of the hospitals with our um assessment pods where they would go in and talk to 111 which took the onus off us um but um 
but then we also had a quite a significant amount of community testing that was happening from based from our hospital which again took the onus off us and the emergency department we were quite involved in in helping them set up the testing but we did manage to keep it away from the department as much as we could which enabled us to then have the time to prepare for the onslaught that then came after that I think yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That makes sense, actually. So with, with just with the team dynamics, Lucy, were, were the team dynamics when the onslaught did come um, still quite still quite positive? Did you manage to sort of navigate um, any sort of human factors that crept in there? Because just talking to you before, yeah. you were saying, and quite understandably, actually, to be honest, Lucy, you know, having one day off and then heading into another four or five shifts, just one day off four or five shifts and it can't have just been you I'm sure your colleagues will have probably been the same mm. the addition of gross fatigue and sort of cognitive deficit of, of like you said just trying mm. to pick yourself back up into sort of four or five more sort of 12 hour shifts could did, did you did you see that across the team yeah I would say so I think there was a a, a variety of, of situations that were causing um I guess stress levels to go up and 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 difficulties we were we were lucky that we had a significant number of well a, a good number of people redeployed juniors redeployed from the rest of the hospital um just as the surge was was happening so we um we de- didn't ever really suffer from a um insufficient number of staff which was which i think helped with the morale in the in the within the team um I think the the biggest, and again, we didn't have pay, people working twelve hour shifts. We we tend not to. Very occasionally, some of our juniors do work twelve hour shifts at the weekends. But we've, with the redeployment of staff into the department, we've now managed to take away those twelve hour shifts because we recognise that people can't function at a, um, a good level for twelve hours in a row without, um, yeah without losing some of your clinical abilities I think and yeah you obviously become tired and um from that so we've managed to reduce that down which is which has made a big impact we also put um our juniors and, and our registrars in teams for their for their night shifts and for quite a proportion of their day shifts as well which is I think has boosted their morale because they feel they're working in, in the same group and they they're able to have breakfast together after the night shifts which is um, I mean still we give them the seminar room for an hour after the the night shift finishes so that they can they can have a bit of bit of downtime and coffee and croissants so that's made a bit of a difference but um I think the um, the hardest aspect has probably been um, the the more senior registrars that have been working in resus areas for prolonged lengths of time because that's the area where you've either got this well you've got the sickest patients and therefore the patients that have got the highest risk of not surviving the disease um, and elderly people that are that have got lots of comorbidities. And yeah, you you know that they're probably not going to do as well, and and breaking bad news um, can, more often than you normally do in the department. So we often we obviously do see quite a lot of sick patients. Um, it's an emergency department. That's that's how it works. But consistently having to break bad news to people to relatives over the phone, and also then having to say to the relatives, you know, you can you can. You can come in, but only for a brief period of time. Um, 
or we're not sure how your relative's going to do. It's going to, we're going to have to see over the next few days, but you can't come in to see them. That's really tough mentally. Um, and, and having to do that several times a day, I think it just, it can build up and then not having that time off afterwards, it really does, um, can take its toll. So yeah, I think that's probably been the main the main difficulty for for everybody but we've we're, so we're lucky in the department that we've got quite an open um group of registrars and consultants everyone gets on quite well so there's been lots of discussions and talks to to sort of try and mitigate for those those tough tough times so yeah so i can wholly agree with yeah. you actually, Lucy. you know just just working as a, a, a as a critical care paramedic Having to break bad news four or five times, sometimes six times a day from the from the cardiac arrests, uh, all of which we've seen. To be honest, um, if it, if it, if it is coronavirus, um, we've we've not seen real really a high rate of return of circulation, and or and and or successful cardiac arrest um, calls. Really, we've 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 seen a, a high prevalence of the asystolic. Um, and or slow PAs, which have descended into asystole. So the mortality has almost been 100%. The, 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 the patients we've managed to get back are the ones which, you, you're quite right, have got different symptomatology and different pathology around, yeah, you know, you, you stand, you standard myocardial infarction or indeed um, things outside of, of, the, of, of, of coronavirus. So it's been it's it's been really difficult uh, to to your point like I said breaking bad news across the across the board sort of five or six times a day in some very tricky sort of social and family dynamics um have you found if you if you found similar because so some of the underlying traits we've found is that underlying respiratory pathology um such as asthma and or copd but but, but we certainly haven't been getting any of these patients back is is that something you've seen uh, in hospital yeah 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 certainly and they're the ones that come in the most the most sick um and um yeah no absolutely and in terms of number of cardiac arrests we've seen it's been relatively low patients are coming in in cardiac arrest and i guess that probably figures because you've been seeing them a lot more out in the community and they've been coming in with asystole so i presume that they you you call a lot of those deaths on scene so um in a way you've, you, you've spared the hospitals, which is, um, um, yeah, help from our perspective. But then obviously we've, we've, we get the, yeah, the sick respiratory patients. That, um, yeah, they've, we've certainly seen that there's quite a lot of um, worse pathology in that, in those, in those groups. Yeah. As, yeah. as you'd expect. What's your, what's been your take on the AGPs as far as using uh, CPAP or BiPAP? Have you, have you tried to defer, uh, have you tried to prevent prevent using it, or have you see have you have you tried to use it to good effect, or how have yeah. you kind of navigated that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's there's been quite a change in the way that the patients have been managed from outset. So probably in the first week or two of the surge, we were um, intubating people really early and. Um, and um, because a lot of the advice that was coming out from Italy was to be intubating these patients early and getting them on a ventilator. Um, and then over the course of about a week or two, you know, there was a, a big change in opinion as to how best to manage these patients. And we started because initially CPAP, we were 
it was an absolute no-no because of the fact that it was such a significant aerosol generating procedure and because we didn't think that it was um, having a good effect. But when we when when the opinion around that changed, we then had um, 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 quite a significant number of patients being started on CPAP and, and doing really quite well. Um, the difficulties come is that they that those people that do go, go on to CPAP and do show significant improvement, they are often on CPAP for 10, 12 days. And that's not insignificant for, for, for in terms of the capacity of the hospital, having patients doing, having aerosol generating procedures for that length of time as well. And then the PPE um, and the, the use of that for those people up in the ward that are caring for them every day. Um, we also did have an issue with the number of CPAP machines that we had in the hospital and um, and then procurement of, of extra CPAP machines because that's what everybody in the country is trying to do, to procure extra CPAP machines. So we did have a period of about a week where we were playing uh, run up and down to the respiratory wards fairly often because we'd be running out of CPAP machines. We have uh, a really good inpatient NIV machines which, so we can use BiPAP and CPAP on them. Um, and we can entrain high levels of, of FiO2 through those machines. Um, the respiratory wards have managed to get hold of lower, um, um, of, of basically domiciliary home CPAP machines, um, which we, we, they were using to wean the patients off the, um, when they required less FiO2. Um, and once they were able to wean them down onto those domiciliary CPAP machines, we'd then take our, um, you know, better more um ones that you could use a higher fio2 and they were bringing them back down to the emergency department so it was a bit of a um bit of a stressful time because we we there were times where we didn't have a cpap machine and and we were having significant numbers of people coming through that were all suitable for a cpap um Conscious proning was something that we actually um, have started um, and seem to have quite a um, significant effect as well. I know there's various other um, departments in, the, in, in London that are starting to, to use that. And over the past week and a half or so, there's been some guidance that have come out from the Society of Intensive Care Medicine, which, um, which we've been using as well. And that seems to be having a fairly positive effect and is preventing the need for CPAP in some patients and also patients that are being put on CPAP um, and being prone seem to be doing well but I think there's um, the hospital starting to do a study to, to research the effects of that but it seems to be having a positive effect. That's fantastic. Lucy. So yeah. Um, so as far as any, any um, trials of any novel drugs such as um, hydroxychloroquine or, or any other novel drugs have you kind of erred away from that or have you kind of stuck with, yeah. what, with what the evidence base is yeah 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 we, we mostly stuck with what the evidence base is we haven't been doing any um um that we've been looking into doing those those trials and there is um we our research consultant has been getting involved in quite a few of the trials but we haven't started using any of the um of, of those other drugs although it may may come in in the next couple of weeks fantastic 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 so lucy just looking um just sort of pivoting slightly and looking at, at some of your background you know um a lot of both expedition and pre-hospital um care has has any of that helped with flexibility with resilience with just 
sort sort of having yeah more of a resilient mindset in a pandemic uh, versus maybe if you hadn't done it's, I suppose it's hard to say because you you have done it so it's hard to say yeah. uh, otherwise but could you could you can you sort of draw can you do you feel like you can draw on stuff when because things have got hard in the past and you've had to become creative in the past and think laterally um, yeah. do you think you've been able to extrapolate that into into what you're dealing with now yeah I think so um, I mean, I think uh, um, doing emergency medicine as a specialty as well does bring out those uh, traits in people anyway. Um, but obviously working in an emergency department, you, you generally have the resources around you that you need and the, and the backup of, of people. Um, I guess the beginning of this crisis, the pandemic required us to, to think on our feet and think a bit laterally and, and make quite big changes quite quickly, um, which... Uh, and sometimes the NHS isn't isn't too fantastic at being able to do but um, in the current climate it's been people have been a lot more amenable to to trying out new things and changes and um, and thinking on their feet a little bit more which has been it's been good to be able to have that um, um, I guess the skills that I've I've acquired by doing by having to think on my feet and and just just get on with it in in certain situations in the pre-hospital and expedition environment um, means that I'm better able to to to, to cope in that situation. So yeah, no, I, I absolutely say say that. Um, but then, yeah, maybe maybe I would have been able to do that before. Who knows? Who knows? I was thinking back actually earlier today about the um, um, H1N1 um, in 2009. I was working in Australia at the time for that. And that, I mean, that was a pandemic, but a very different pandemic. And it didn't amount to to what we've, we've seen here. Um, and I was obviously, I was a junior doctor then, so wasn't really getting involved in any of the strategic um, side of things. But... Um, um, but yeah, no, I think there's been, um, yeah, I think over the years I've, I've learned to, to deal a little bit better with the uncertainties. So, and yeah, just step up to the plate when I need to. Fantastic. 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 So just looking at, at, at the current practice, Lucy, do you, so we, we still have quite a lot of debriefs, especially from some difficult cardiac arrest cases, um, especially when there's been difficult family dynamics are you are you at the start or end of shift having debriefs or that 10 for 10 sort of taking 10 minutes for the next 10 hours or yeah or afterwards just 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 debriefing with more junior staff or is, is that has that has that kind of gone by the wayside just because of sheer demand and other factors yeah unfortunately i think um Again, it's always difficult and it, it can be difficult in the emergency department because of different shifts, people finishing shifts at different times. Um, and also when the surge was at its at its worst, we were, you know, someone would, would uh, a patient would come in, we'd manage them and then the next patient would come in and then nurses would leave resus because they do their four hour um, stint in resus and then leave. And then uh, there was just such a, a big, turnover of staff and unfortunately it did go by the wayside somewhat and um, we were in fact talking about this just yesterday about the debriefing process and 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 how we can we can use the time that we've got now where things are calming down a little bit to to debrief some of the difficult cases that we had and um, 
um, we were talking about the actually um, our hospital does something called Schwartz Rounds, which is an, um, um, a meeting, a, 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 like, a, like a grand round, but where people talk about how difficult situations were in the clinical environment or even the non-clinical environment and um, debriefing. We were hoping, we were thinking of doing something like like that and, and to highlight a few of the difficult cases that we've had and sort of go through it and how people were feeling to be able to have a forum for people to start to, to talk about things. And um, so hopefully that's what we're going to try and set up in the next week or two. Uh, which yeah it's not the same as the the hot debriefs and the and, the, and then the, the bigger colder debriefs that um i think we're sometimes better at doing in the pre-hospital environment but um something that i would like to bring into the emergency department and this is this is the time now to hopefully be able to do that before maybe a second surge happens who knows yeah uh, so from a just from a personal point of view, um, how has it affected you? To, have you have you sort of socially distanced yourself from your family? Have you kind of been quite purposeful, sort of just just not seeing family and friends? And has that been difficult for for you? Yeah. So I mean, that we're we're so lucky that we've got the internet, aren't we? And that we've got Zoom meetings and various different apps to be able to catch up with friends. Um, and and I guess because I've I've lived and worked in so many different places, I'm I'm used to catching up with quite a lot of my close friends on on the phone or or via the internet anyway. So that hasn't changed significantly. Um, um, I think being in work is 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 actually in a, in has a positive effect as well because you are still seeing a lot of people. You're getting social interaction, which means that the social distancing has been you know, easier, I think, than other people that, that are working from home and um, aren't getting to see anybody else other than their four walls and a bit of exercise every day. So um, my family also lives all around the world as well. So um, again, it, it, I haven't been able to, to see any of them as, as you would expect. And as, as I'm sure many, many people haven't been able to with the, with the lockdown. But um, I guess we're all just hoping that um, it, it lifts um, to some extent soon um, so that people can start to, yeah, because it's the impact on people's mental health, I think, of not seeing people for long periods of time and not having that social interaction is um, is not insignificant. And I um, know actually that's something we're seeing in the emergency department as well, the, the, the mental health cases are actually increasing again um, over the past couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's not insignificant is it absolutely absolutely and i can testify you know i've seen quite a lot of cases pre-hospital as well so it's it is difficult and it's almost the silent pandemic you know that comes up after the actual pandemic and um yeah it's it, it is it is extremely prevalent actually um but yeah so as a fellow sort of yogi and or just exercise guru because we've I've been out on plenty of runs with you and sort of yoga classes and things and have you been sort of have you been managing to keep up the exercise and sort of keep keep sort of physically and mentally fit in, in that respect as well yeah yeah well I, I cycled to and from work every day so that helps with um with winding down after a shift although it's a fairly short short um cycle back to work but occasionally i'll go go a little bit of a long way round. Um, unfortunately they've closed some of the parks to, to cyclists so that's been a bit of a pain um, 
but actually yeah no I do still regularly go out for cycle rides um I did a cycle ride around central London a couple of weeks ago in the on a um yeah it was like a ghost town um yeah so it's like a different different city isn't it um but um yeah no and yeah no I'm being good at keeping up the exercise because I think it does make a big big difference to to my mental health and then yeah yoga in the back garden um has been quite nice so so yeah no I'm, I'm i'm managing to keep up with it although it is difficult isn't it the motivation when when you you, you don't have the right variety again i like doing exercise in a social way so i'll often go cycling with other people but you can't do that at the moment so motivating yourself is a little bit that little bit harder but yeah, but i'm still managing good 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 good, good. <laughs> so lucy just as we were coming into land um on the conversation i just i just wondered for the community who are just listening um or watching um is there is there any sort of messages of positivity or anything you'd like to specifically say to people who are watching this who are also on the front line as doctors paramedics nurses um that 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 just from just from your perspective really yeah well I, what what i've seen over the past few weeks has been an immense amount of camaraderie and and positivity in the hospital despite the um despite the difficult times that we're all in at the moment and i think we're really lucky as a as a medical community that we've we've got a a great group of people that are all looking out for each other um and if i think um having those people around you is 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 such a benefit at this time and just make sure you're using all your using all your colleagues and friends that you have that are um to make sure that we we all get through this and and staying positive and and just yeah taking yeah taking toilet stock of what we've got and what we've what we're still managing to do and achieve and i think that's that will really help moving forward because i think where this isn't going to go away very very quickly unfortunately so yeah finding those ways to to maintain our resilience and and keep positive is is the way forward yeah lucy i couldn't agree with you more actually it certainly is a marathon not a sprint and i think in in these kind of circumstances the longevity of self-care is, is is really pertinent actually like you said good micro practices around you know just keep even if it's just one bit of exercise a day one bit of mindfulness a day and one interaction with family or friends a day and just yeah. keeping that one 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 um just 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 across the board so you can so you can yeah just just keep being in touch with your body mentally and your community um yeah exactly and sometimes when you're not feeling you know you everyone has down days don't they when you're like oh, God, i haven't got the motivation to do anything and yeah just doing one of those little things just almost just shifts you and then enables you to just just carry on and 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 feel that you're you're getting through the day okay absolutely absolutely lucy colter you're an absolute legend and it's a, just a pleasure to uh, walk through life with you as a colleague and friend so thank you so much for your time today yeah you too. Uh, it's lovely to speak.